Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. You can be seated. The scripture's a little long. I wouldn't want you to have to stand for that length of reading. We're going into the next lesson on uh, reflecting God's character. A big one uh, lesson for us to get today uh, because it is so prevalent in the world today. But uh, today we're going to talk about refusing prejudice, refusing prejudice, and uh, the idea for us is so that others may see Jesus through us, which is what we ought to be doing. We're the light of the world. We're here to shine the light of truth of God's word, and, and so we want to reflect God's character. We want to be able to be like God. We want to, to walk as Jesus walked, and so if we want others to see Jesus through us, we must refuse to allow prejudice in our hearts. You need to put up a, a no, the only thing you can be prejudiced against is prejudice. We've got nothing to do with you. No vacancy for prejudice. It's, it's all booked up. And so let, you need to let that spirit know there's no room for you in my life because there is no room for that in the church. And I know that uh, today uh, that it seems like the only word that prejudice is equated to is racism, uh, which that can be that, but prejudice falls on anything. Uh, I mean, people that, uh, you know, say, well, they're a lot smarter, so I hang out with them. You're prejudiced toward others. You know, it's, it could be through somebody's ability, their talents, uh, any kind of thing that we could uh, build up prejudice. That's where cliques start happening and and uh, gangs start happening and things like that. No, no room for that in the church. Got to have unity, and uh, prejudice is, it is against unity. So our scripture verse uh, today, I'll read this, just this one verse, and then we'll jump into the rest of it so we can pray for the lesson. James chapter 2 and verse 1. <clears throat> James chapter 2 and verse number 1 says, My brethren... Have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. Let's pray for the lesson. Thank you, Lord, for your word, for all that you give us today. We sure want to make sure that we are modeling ourselves after you and that we get this word in our heart today because we don't want to sin against you or against our brothers or sisters. So help us to receive it in good ground today, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Give the Lord a hand clap for a great word today. Hallelujah. We're thankful for you, Jesus. James goes on to say in verse number two, For if there come unto you or unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and you have respect to him that weareth the, the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here, in a good place and say to the poor, stand thou there or sit here under my footstool. Are you not then partial in yourselves and are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him? But you have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats. Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by which you are called? If you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, you do well. But if you have respect to persons, you commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye, and do so, as they shall be judged by the law of liberty. Remember last week we talked about looking into the perfect law of liberty, which is the Scripture. So he's telling us we shall be judged by the Scripture, the Word of God. For he shall have judgment without mercy that has showed no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. And so uh, there was evidently in the church at that time... Uh, prejudice as there has been in the world always. It's been here. There's a story here, uh, I'm sure that many people, probably everyone here maybe has heard of 
uh, Corey Ten Boom. Uh, if you have it, you ought to do a little research into her and her life and read some of her writings. Uh, she was a Christian Holocaust survivor who helped save some 800 Jews from the Nazis during World War II. Uh, there's a story here that after sharing her experiences during a talk in Germany in 1947, she came face to face with a man who had been one of the most cruel guards at Ravensbrück, which was a prison camp. This is from her own words from her book. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fräulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. I was face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrück in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fräulein. Again, the hand came out, will you forgive me? And I stood there, I whose sins had again and again been forgiven and could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I, ever had, I had ever had to do. For I, had, for I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you your trespasses. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, and sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother. I cried with all of my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. So uh, we see that in all forms of life and then throughout all the ages, it's, of course, World War II. And since that time, of course, it has not lessened but probably increased. But that prejudice is infiltrated this world, it is propagated by people in power a lot of times to cause division, but the church has no place for prejudice. This woman, as a Christian who risked her life to protect the lives of Jews, she refused prejudice, and she did so again when she chose to forgive the former Nazi camp guard. So it is impossible. I know that people say, with God, all things are possible, and when we're praying for things, that's surely true, but it is impossible to be a true Christian and have prejudice in your heart. It just won't fly. In the second chapter of this letter we just read that James was writing, he was continuing his discussion of vain versus pure religion. Pure religion is concerned about the poor. And in pure religion, there is no prejudice. To give preferential treatment to those of high social status would fly in the face of everything that Jesus had taught and practiced on the subject of social relationships. The gospel, and this is a lesson that people need to get uh, because a lot of people think that the gospel is supposed to fix the problems of the world, and it's not. It's here to save people's soul. The gospel is never consumed with vain attempts to revolutionize social structure to eliminate economic distinctions among people. But the gospel is passionately concerned with equalizing the value of all human beings. The poorest man is worth as much in the eyes of God as the richest man. And those who have faith in God must demonstrate that same faith by valuing the poor equally with the rich. 
we cannot uh, say that the rich are better just because they have more money. We cannot say they're smarter just because they have more money. And we cannot say they are more valuable just because they have more money. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ does not mix with prejudice. It won't work. It can't mix together. It will not dissolve. It will not become one. If you have prejudice, you are having problems in your relationship with the Lord. It's going to happen. James identified his reader's common bond when we read the opening statement. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. That uh, our bond with one another is this, the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean it's his faith. It means that it is faith in the Lord. Uh, those who recognize the deity of Christ in faith, in whose faith is in him, they are not to exercise this faith with partiality. In other words, if we have faith in the Lord and we're serving God, we cannot have that faith and only share it with people that we think are worthy of it, uh, that we think will benefit us. That's, that's prejudice. And so uh, even in, when you get some of the different translations, you'll see it helps you get the idea a little better. In the NASB uh, version, it says, My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. And then in the New Living Translation, it says, My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? You can't do it. You can't. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't have friends that are close that you're close to this is not what he's getting into he's talking about how you treat other people how you view other people uh and and uh that you're not prejudiced toward them because you think well they're, they're a little richer they'll benefit me more they'll help me out uh salvation is the same no matter what your bank account is rich or poor it's the blood of jesus Sick or well, it's the blood of Jesus. Smart or ignorant, it's the blood of Jesus. Male or female, it's the blood of Jesus. White or black, red or yellow, it is the blood of Jesus. It's the same salvation for every single one of us. And if we have not the spirit of Christ with none of his, that means anybody. Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter. If you don't have the spirit of Christ, you are none of his. That's Bible. You can't change it and it can't be rewritten. It's the same. That means that Every one of us are leveled out on that playing field. The scripture says that God concluded all people in unbelief that he could have mercy on all. So God leveled that out. He knows that some people are just going to have different jobs, have better education. They're going to make more money. Does it change the way he looks at them? Because he died for the rich and he died for the poor. And so if, if he loved the rich and he loved the poor... Remember the rich young ruler? What can I do to have everlasting life? And he's, well, here's the commandments. I've kept all those from my youth. And then it says, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Even though he knew he lacked in some area. But he still loved this rich man just because he said it would be harder on him. Didn't mean he didn't love him. He, had, he was hanging around with a bunch of fishermen. Uh, and he knew that they were poor. This dude's rich. Loves them the same. Desired this man, hey, take up your cross and follow me. Offered him the same offer as he did Peter. But he wouldn't drop all his stuff. And so he, you know, he, he was trusted in those riches. And so uh, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is inconsistent with partiality or prejudice. Since God himself is not partial, and he's not, Peter said in Acts uh, he got this revelation in Acts chapter 10, verse 34. He said that of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. While he was standing in the foyer of a Gentile's house, he was getting ready to preach to some people that he normally would not be with. Uh, he, he's speaking this revelation that God has given him of a truth. God is no respecter of persons. That's the truth. Now, James is uh, writing about uh, these rich people, and he talks about, he begins to describe them. He says the, the rich and the poor were distinguished not only by gold rings of the rich, but also by their clothing. 
says the rich man, he wore fine apparel, but the poor man, he had vile, uh, you know, probably dirty, tore up, uh, maybe too small for him. It, was, it just was a nice raiment, nice clothing. And so there, was, there seems to be no rebuke of those who could afford to wear finer apparel. There's nothing wrong with having those clothes if you can afford them. And there's nothing wrong if you can't afford them. It isn't, it's really not even dealing with the rich man or the poor man. It's dealing with the prejudice of the readers, of the people he is writing to. He said, it doesn't matter. Hopefully you'll have some wealthy people come in because they need salvation too. But the poor need it as well. I'm not worried about how they look outwardly, what they're wearing, rich or poor. He said, how you're treating them. Have you got the first four rows of seats saved for the wealthy and you got the poor people stuck off in the corner in the back? You know, are, are, you, are you ashamed of them? Are you hiding them? He said, how are you treating them? Uh, we've got to have faith in the Lord, and we've got to make sure that we are not treating uh, someone differently because, well, hey, they're a little more educated. They're a little, you just, oh, look who just walked in. You know, he's got to have some money. You know, he's got to be smart. He's got, and so he come right up here and sit down or move somebody out of their seat so they can sit there. You know, that's not the way you do it. You treat them all the same. And he says in verse 4 uh, that, he said, Are you not then partial if you do this in yourselves and become judges of evil thoughts? And then in verse 9, he says, But if you have respect to persons, you commit sin. Now, I don't want to be committing sin. I don't rob. I don't steal. I don't cheat. I don't lie. And I'm not doing none of those things. But if you have respect to persons, you commit sin. You got you to gotta jump off them Ten Commandments sometimes and realize there's more than ten. You got to realize there's a, there's a lot of things in the Scripture that we have to follow and obey, and if we don't, it's sin. And when you treat people uh, partial because you think, ooh, I don't associate with them because they didn't go to the same school I went to. They didn't graduate like I did. They don't have the money I got. They don't run in the same circle as me. And you're prejudiced toward those people, Sin. And he said, well, I don't believe it, preacher. And you don't believe that because that's, that's the word. We treat them all the same. We look at them the same way that Jesus looks at them, a potential soul for heaven, a potential candidate for salvation. That is who they are. I didn't say uh, that it wouldn't be. Listen, hey, this just gets ingrained in you if you're not careful. I talked about some of it uh, the other, other night uh, in one of my lessons. I said, you've got to let the blood of Jesus wash away some things that, that you grew up under because everything that was tradition ain't good and everything that was taught to you growing up ain't good and all the things that you learned hanging around your friends ain't good. And sometimes you've got to let the blood of Jesus just wash the redneck out of you. I'm just saying. It's, oh, I'm proud to be a redneck. Well, if you can treat everybody the same and be a redneck, go for it. I ain't got no problem with rednecks. Uh, I, I got a lot of friends that are, but if they treat people differently because they're redneck, it ain't right. That's just how it is. So uh, we've got to have the same love and compassion towards everybody. And so he said, if you have respect to a person, you commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. And somebody will, will say, well, I, I'm not under the law. He's not talking about the law of Moses. He's talking about the, uh, the perfect law of liberty, which is the scripture that we live by. Every, uh, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for our doctrine. And so uh, we don't show prejudice toward people because we believe in loving everybody. Loving everybody. So the, uh, you know, in, um, some people will favor the rich over the poor because they think, well, if they got all that money, surely God has blessed them. You know, some people's money is simply because they've worked hard. Some people, just, some people are smart investors, and some people are crooks. Some people got money because they're good at thievery. I mean, that's it. Some people got a lot of money because they can turn anything into money. It's like that K-1 
King Midas. Whatever they touch turns to gold. You know, it's just like they just fall into it. But it's just they're smart business people. They know what they're doing, and it just multiplies, and they've got it. And it ain't got a thing to do with them serving the Lord because some people that don't even care about God are filthy rich. They got it some way. So, but some people say, well, it means they're blessed, and that blessing will fall over on me. And, but, you know, when you read the book of Proverbs, you see God just thinks about the rich and poor. The way he thinks about them is the same. Uh, he said the rich and poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. He made them. Uh, what they did, there's a, a parable of three guys with, that with talents were handed out to. All three guys probably all look about the same, working for the same guy from the same area probably, you know, uh, have learned the same skills on that job. But each one decided to do something a little different with the talents. One of them had some, he doubled it, another guy doubled his, one guy buried it. He ended up broke <laughs> in a bad way. But uh, it wasn't that he wasn't able to use it. He just didn't use it. And so, uh, but, God, but they all had the same master. And so, uh, you know, whether you're talking about people, you live week to week by your paycheck and by the skin of your teeth, or if you got money you could start your fireplace with. You know, if you, Jose said, you got giraffe money. You got that kind of money. Or you could buy a giraffe if you wanted to. Well, hey, it don't matter. God made both of you. Can't take giraffes to heaven. So, hey, you know, you came into this world without a giraffe. You're going out without a giraffe. That's adding a little bit to what Job said, but that's basically the same thing. So, uh, but there's this prosperity doctrine that people, they preach, and, and they're trying to, it's got a lot of avenues, but the bottom line is that if people have a su the sufficient amount of the right kind of faith, you've got to have the right kind of faith, and then use it correctly by speaking the right words, they're going to experience this supernatural material prosperity. Now you say, now is that different than the statement of faith we make each week? Yes, because I don't believe by saying that statement of faith that money is going to fall out of the sky. But what we're doing is saying by obedience to the word of God. We're making a statement that by obedience, that when you give, it'll be given back. But it never said he'd make you rich. But these people believe, name it and claim it. Just, there it is, pie in the sky. It's all for you, you know. Uh, but James, in his letter, he demonstrates the error of this notion, not only by warning against exalting those who are rich, but also by including the poor among those who are people of genuine faith. In uh, verses 5 and 6, he said, Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world that are rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? He says, But you have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Then in verse 15 and 16, he said, If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be warmed and, and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things that are needful to the body, what does it profit? It's not going to help them with anything. Uh, this Proverbs has a lot to say about the rich and the poor. One thing is that it says in 14 and 20, it says that the poor man is hated by his own neighbors. It says, but the rich have many friends. And then in 19 and 4, it says that Wealth maketh many friends, but the poor is separated from his neighbors. Like they're pushed out, they're, they're pushed away, they're neglected. It was a problem that's been going on forever. But the scripture tells us time and time again to make sure that we are including the poor, that we are reaching for the poor, that we are loving the poor. Just because, uh, you know, if they don't wear, you, know, you see in school, or used to anyway, a lot of times, uh, when we were growing up, you know, people, kids, kids could be cruel, man. Uh, you know, if you you come to school wearing a pair, of, you know, I'll tell you how it was in middle school. The Izod shirt was it. If you had that alligator, and you was in the club, and them shirts were expensive even back then. And so, what would happen was some kids' parent meaning to do well we go to Sears and buy that bragging dragon shirt. It had a little green thing. If you was good ways off, you might not tell the difference. But when you got up, you said, that's a dragon. That ain't no alligator. 
And then he got made fun of because he was wearing Sears. And that didn't come from Riches or Belk or Macy's or any of them places. And if you didn't have them white canvas Nikes with the light blue on them, but you had some tracks, which was like neon blue with yellow stripes on them from Kmart, and the paint started flaking off of them, off the toe of them. Yeah, as soon as you played, got in pee one day, it was over. Game up. And nobody talking to you. You ain't getting no notes passed you in class that says, will you be my boyfriend or nothing, wearing stuff like that. Prejudice. Just because you ain't wearing that eyes on. It, or, you know, I didn't care. Everything I wore back then was a, I wore a T-shirt with something printed on the front of it. I took my school picture with Elvis on the front of my shirt. <laughs> and one time with Farrah Fawcett, so. I ain't kidding. <laughs> That's the truth, tell them, Mama. School picture. Yes, ma'am. Those who are rich in faith, they may be poor in finances, even to the extent of lacking sufficient clothing and food. But they are our brothers and sisters in the Lord, and that is what makes them on the same field as us. You never know, because people don't talk about it. You never know what people are going through or how they're struggling. And so uh, you've you got to be careful about that because you could, hurt, you could hurt somebody and be prejudiced toward them and not even know that you are. So what they need is not a rebuke for lack of faith or a lecture on how to name it and claim it. They need someone to provide food and clothing, to give them a fish and teach them how to fish. Those who are able to do so but refuse demonstrate that their faith is dead, which is what James was writing about. If you, if you just tell them, hey, oh, I, oh, you're cold. Go on and get warm. How about you give them a coat? Yeah. Give them a blanket? Uh, or, hey, hey, go get you. Man, you look a little thin. Go get you something to eat. With what? And so he said, if, uh, to say all that stuff, it don't mean nothing. What are you doing about it? And so... But a lot of times those who have don't want to let go of what they have. That goes back to what we talked about, generous living, a couple of lessons ago. Uh, if you've got it, you give it. You bless people with it. You'll be blessed. Don't worry, it's coming back. Giving it shall be given back. We always think that just means what you put in the basket. It's what you give to others. Yeah, it'll come back. In Matthew 22, Jesus identified the two greatest commandments. Uh, the two greatest commandments prohibit idolatry and prejudice. There are 1,600 or 613 commandments in the law, and it seems surprising that Jesus, uh, Jesus identifies only two, the great or first commandment and the other as the second. Neither is specifically found in the Ten Commandments, but he said these are the greatest commandments. Uh, in Matthew 22, a lawyer comes and asks him, testing him, wanting to see what's going on. Uh, hey, what's the great commandment in the law? And Jesus says that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second one is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. These two commandments have to do with relationships. The first one is with God and then with other people. To have the right relationship with God eliminates the possibility of idolatry, for it involves all of one's heart, soul, and mind. There's no room for anything else. There's no room for other gods. The second commandment prohibits prejudice, for it calls for the loving of others as oneself. So if we are keeping number two, which is very important, because the Lord said, this is where the law and the prophets hang. This is where it, it ties into um, love your neighbor as yourself. The Bible says no man never yet hated his own flesh. And so you treat others the way you want to be treated. Remember that scripture? Yeah. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So um, we are treating people uh, and loving people, not just uh, you know, that, that loving people. Loving them as you would love yourself. Now, sometimes I don't like myself. And sometimes I don't like what other people do. But I love them 
Does God always like what you do? No. But does he ever not love you? Some, somebody asked one time, said, well, it's impossible. You, if, you, if you can't like them, you can't love them. That's not true. You can love people without liking them. It's, it's because you don't like their actions. You don't like what they're involved in, and, and that's not being judgmental or anything. I don't like people who, who beat up on kids. I have to love them because Jesus loves them. Oh, that's awful. I, you know, you know, we're quick to say they need to be killed because you, you, a kid's precious to us. You don't harm a kid or, or, you know, uh, or people, who, people say, oh, I hate a thief. Oh, I hate a thief. I hate, I hate for things to be stolen, but I have to love people. You know, even one place it says don't despise a thief if he's stealing to feed his family. Scripture, you know, of course he gets caught, he's got to pay for it. It's not letting him off the hook. He said, you need to understand sometimes you don't know what's going on in somebody's life or what the, what the background was that got them to that terrible place that they're in. And so, uh, again, I've said it before, except for the grace of God, there we go. So we need to always be kind, always be compassionate and love. If we have to love our enemy... And love them which despitefully use us. Well, then we need to make sure we love our neighbor as ourself. So uh, the rich can be poor. It is possible to be rich and poor at the same time. If you define rich in connection with materialism and poor with spirituality. 1 Timothy 6 and 17. Command those who are rich in this present world. Not to be haughty, not to be high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. In 1 John 3 and 17, it says, But whosoever has this world's goods sees his brother have need and shuts up uh, his bowels of compassion from him. How dwelleth the love of God in him? And so we can see that when people cling to their stuff, and they may be rich with stuff, but they stay away from people or they... They, they, uh, you know, they, they trust in those things instead of God or they keep those things instead of helping out the poor, well, then their, their relationship with God's in trouble. It's not right. So it's possible to be rich in the world and have all the material stuff you could think of and yet be poor in your relationship with God. So material wealth is no indication of, of true riches because true riches is where your treasure is. And the scripture says that wherever you're uh, treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be also. My treasure's in God. My treasure's in the things of God. That's where my heart is to do the things of God. Now, in this part, let me see where we're at. How we're doing, we're good. If uh, what I, I mentioned at the beginning, this is where we see prejudice most of the time uh, in our world today. And it asks a question that should be in your book as well. Is racism a sin? A short answer. Absolutely. <laughs> There's no way around it. Uh, the English Oxford Living Dictionary uh, gives this definition to racism. Prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism directed against someone of a different race based on the belief that one's own race is superior. The belief that all members of each race possess characteristics, abilities, or qualities specific to that race, especially so as to distinguish it as inferior or superior to another race or races. Racism is a sin. Whichever way it goes, it doesn't matter. Because we need to remember uh, Paul was preaching, and in the book of Acts, uh, chapter 17, he was preaching to the people at Mars Hill, and he's talking about declaring the unknown God, but he made this statement that God has made of one blood all nations of men. God has made of one blood all nations of men. That's it. So uh, we don't get to be racist if we're white. We don't get to be racist if we're black, if we're yellow, red, whatever. It doesn't matter. We don't get to put our race above anybody else. We don't put nobody's race down because of our race we are supposed to love each other and not see the way this world sees, but see the way God sees. Now, it is possible now, listen, uh, for a spirit-filled person to struggle with the sin of racism because 
before they were filled with the Holy Ghost, they lived in this world, and they go to schools and places and have family members and all kinds of things where they are, that stuff's indoctrinated into them. And sometimes they don't even realize it. It's, they, they would, if you were to ask them, they'd be like, no way. Uh, but if they would just let the Holy Ghost open their eyes, they would see that some things they're doing are not right. Imagine having the keys to the kingdom, Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, preached the keynote message for the church on the day of Pentecost. I mean, has flipped this world upside down. Here's Peter. Comes from being a fisherman, following Jesus. You know, all these things makes it. Gets to Pentecost, preaches that message, just doing great things, all this stuff. And all of a sudden, he finds himself Holy Ghost filled and dealing with uh, how do I accept new people into this great faith. The biblical account of Peter's visit to Cornelius suggests that it is possible for a Holy Ghost filled person, even Peter, a preacher, a minister, an apostle, to struggle with that. First, Peter's refusal to eat food defined by the law of Moses as unclean, even though he was commanded to do so by the voice of God in a vision, anticipates his attitude toward Gentiles. Secondly, when Peter meets Cornelius, he says, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. Then he says, but God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. The man with the keys said, God said you don't call any man common or unclean. If that's the man with the keys to the kingdom, that's part of the kingdom. When he unlocked it, this all come with it. He just, he just got to a different room in the house. He, the first, he's, first time he's preaching it because it's to the Jew first. So he's preaching it there. Then he stepped into the next room, and now it's time to talk to the Gentiles. What? Yeah, Peter, keep going. This, this kingdom house is big, and it includes everybody. And you don't call no man common. Whether you can understand what he's saying or not, whether you've ever seen anybody that looks like him or not, you don't call any man common or unclean. And then Peter says, uh, in a truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whosoever fears God and works righteousness is accepted by him. That's why revival is all around the world. We're reaching the whole world, preach the gospel to every creature, because every creature, every human, every flesh and blood person on this planet is deserving of it. Peter's visit to Cornelius was a defining moment uh, of change for Peter because he now recognized that God made no distinctions between people based on their nationality, which is often referred to today as race. Since God fills Gentiles and Jews with the same Holy Ghost, indicated by the same signs speaking miraculously in languages of even other nationalities, there is no basis to claim superiority for any race. In the final analysis, there is but one race, and that's the human race, all human beings descend from one man, Adam, and one woman, Eve. There is no superiority in skin pigmentation or language. Racism is a sin because it does something that God doesn't do. It makes one person greater than the other. But the Lord said it's not about circumcision. It's not about uncircumcision. It's about a new creature. Some people would say, well... You know, the Jews, are God, they're God's favorites. We are all grafted in to the same vine. We think, well, if he, if he wanted to love the Jews more than us, he would have put them in a different place, but we're all grafted into that same vine. And so, because uh, he knows it's just him. There is no other God but him, so there's no other God to worship but him. And so, if we're all going to worship him, we're going to all be on the same level as him. So it is no sin to be rich, though. It's, we'll get back to what James was talking about, about people with money or not money. It's not a sin to be rich. So don't think that if somebody's saying you need to empty all your bank accounts out. But he does, the Lord in the Scripture tells us that the rich will face special temptations. In uh, 1 Timothy 
chapter 6 and verse 8. Uh, well, I may be where I want to go yet. In verse 8, it says, And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money, not money, but the love of money, is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith, pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So he's saying it's possible that those riches, that money, that wealth can actually cause you to err from the faith. Well, I need to make sure I'm in the faith. I don't want to be out of the faith. There's one Lord, one faith. I want to stay in it. And uh, how many times have we read stories and, and seen on the news that people who have, we think, money that they never have to worry about anything again. But they do because they end up in jail or they end up taking their life or you know something happened, they end up, or they end up all of a sudden without anything because they get hooked on drugs, go to gambling, all kind of things. They, they, there's just so many temptations. It's like sometimes people think with money, you know, it'll never end. It'll always be here. It's, it's my security blanket. It's going to take care of me. And they just spending it without even looking at it. And people are taking advantage of that. They see them coming. They got them. I mean, you read stories about these guys that were so famous in, you know, sports. And, man, they were making money uh, just hand over fist. And, and all of a sudden, they're broke. But their promoters are rich. And them sponsors are rich. Everybody else was getting rich. And after they wrung him out, he wasn't good for anything else. On to the next one. I read about entertainers and singers and stuff that they, uh, you know, all of a sudden it's for these rags to riches or riches to rags stories. And it's like the money they talk about they had is like crazy. But while they were in their heyday, while everything was going good, man, they were flying like their whole crew on jets to these crazy places for vacations, paying for all this. They're spending, you know, fifty, sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars in a restaurant a night to feed all their people, just stuff like that. And they wonder how they get broke. But it happens. You have to be careful. And then uh, Jesus talked about uh, us being content and and that we shouldn't make our life try to compare our life whether it's good or not with what we have in Luke 12 and 15 he said it like this take heed and beware of covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things which he possesses he said it's not about all the things you have uh, this is what Jesus said beware of covetousness don't be always trying to get something you don't have and, and be satisfied with what you've got and so uh, in warning, in a warning to teachers, Paul wrote this in 1 Timothy 6 and 3. He says, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to the wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. So if Jesus said we need to beware of covetousness and don't try to measure our life by the things we possess, Paul is warning, make sure that you stick to those words. Because those are his words. And Jesus said that's the way your life is going to be better. It's going to be okay when you don't try to measure your life in the abundance of the things you have. Because some people are just always trying to get something. In 1 Timothy uh, 6 and 5, he said perverse, uh, that there are perverse disputes of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself, but godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into this world even giraffes and it is certain we can carry nothing out and so he's saying there are people who believe that the more you have that means the more blessed you are but godliness with contentment is great gain there is a human tendency to think that we will be happier if we amass things bigger things newer things the latest thing this is, a re uh, this is a search for contentment in the wrong direction. It's just like the woman at the well. If you drink this water, you'll always be thirsty. You'll never be satisfied. We need the living water that he gives so we can be satisfied with that. Be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And so we brought nothing into this world and it's certain we can carry nothing out. 
food and clothing are necessary, but additions to these, necess- <clears throat> to these necessities tend to introduce frustration in our life. For that matter, excessive food and clothing do the same, and there are biblical warnings against uh, gluttony, fine clothing, trying to have many changes of apparel, things like that. So uh, we need to be careful and learn uh, to live like a, you know, with the minimum that we need, really. We don't need, need all the things that we have. Nobody needs five homes. Why does anybody need? Well, they can afford it. So what? Who needs five homes? You can't live in but one. Why do you need five houses? You don't need five houses. Why do you need ten cars? You don't need ten cars even if they're all Mustangs. You don't need ten cars. That would be like crazy. But why? You don't need them. Just drive one. That's all you can drive anyway. And you won't let nobody touch the other one, so what good do they do? I wouldn't. Sorry. I'd have to buy you your own. So, uh, but people who have amassed material wealth are often unhappy because they have experienced eventually the ultimate letdown because they were so sure that their money was going to do it for them and now they found out that it can't. Oh, yes. It's like people that if they get that knock on the door and it's, I don't know who does it anymore, but it used to be Ed McMahon. But come up to your door with that big check, publishes clearinghouse, people freaking out, money for the rest of your life, you know, they think, or people that do play the lottery and all of a sudden they find out that they're not going to be working at Dollar General anymore because they just won $49 million. And they're so sure that this is going to take care of the rest of their life until they're broke. And now they're so depressed and distressed because they can't believe that they have $49 million and now they have, don't have a penny. <clears throat> the house that they bought, they can't even pay the property tax on. And so they lose it, all the cars. And now Dollar General won't hire them back because they quit without a notice. <clears throat> it's just the end. Don't get caught up in that love of money. In his rebuke to those who show partiality to the rich, James wrote, do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? What could have been their motives to give the rich preferential treatment unless it was the vain hope of gaining some advantage? Honey, you can come on to the music. I'm getting ready to to be done. The word translated oppress means to exploit. This verb in the present tense indicating it is in the present tense indicating it was occurring even as James wrote. In biblical times, the rich often exploited the poor for monetary gain. This exploitation may have been usury on loan given to the poor, excessive rents, or withholding of wages. Perhaps James' original readers thought that by giving the rich preferential treatment, they would alleviate their own suffering at the hands of the rich. If so, they were sadly mistaken. Solomon warned that giving to the rich is counterproductive. In principle, this could imply that even giving them preferential treatment would not produce the desired result uh, of favoritism. Also, there, he talks about the temptation of blasphemy. And a further question about why his readers gave preference to the rich, James said, do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? Like oppress in verse 6, this is in the present tense, this was behavior for which the rich were known at the times of James that when he wrote this letter. Some rich people tend not only to take advantage of their wealth to oppress others, but they also ridicule genuine faith in God. Their confidence in their riches is so complete that they not only refuse to trust God themselves, but they actively speak evil against God. No rationale can defend showing favoritism to the rich because of their riches when the rich are just as likely, if not more so, to mistreat others and reject God. You can stand with me. There's a story about missionary Kenneth and Bobby Wendell. They established a church in Ethiopia in in the late 1960s. Many of those to whom they ministered were victims of Hansen's disease, which is leprosy. The death of nerves from this disease caused loss of feeling, so the hands, feet, nose are damaged. There were half a million lepers in Ethiopia at this time, and they were considered untouchable. The Wendells uh, established a workshop to teach the lepers to weave cloth, baskets, and rugs. One woman whose name was Sahi, meaning the son, begged for admission. 
but she had no hands, only stubs, and the front parts of her feet were gone, leaving only the heel and ankle area. She could only shuffle. Kenneth had designed a prosthesis to be strapped onto the wrist and arm, elbow and wrist, including the palm portion of the hand. This enabled the wearer to hold a tool with which to work, but Sahi could not wear it. So Kenneth brought Sahi to their home to help his wife with the housework. His wife, Bobby, was horrified. She said, you have to take her away. Her husband said he could not. The woman had no place to go, and other beggars had beaten her terribly, and she would be hurt again. Empathetically, Bobby said, Sahi had to go. Kenneth, looking at his wife with sadness, said, you may take her. Here are the keys, but will you do something for us? And Bobby asked, what do you want? And Kenneth replied, will you go by Calvary on the way to take her back? Bobby began to weep. She left Sahi behind, flew out of the house, and drove to the chapel. And there laying face down on the floor where lepers trod daily, she found deliverance. Soon the first Ethiopian converts were baptized in Jesus' name, including 27 lepers. Sometimes we'd have to push past our flesh, won't we? But that's what Jesus wants. He touched lepers. He ate with sinners. One place it said he receiveth sinners. I said, thank God he does. Because we were all sinners. Unworthy of that mercy and grace. But, but he loved us anyway. I'm glad that there was no prejudice in the church against people like me. I'm here today born again and trying my best because of his grace and mercy. Somebody else needs it. There's no place in the church for prejudice on any level. Let's pray today together and ask God to search our hearts, remove anything that would cause us to have prejudice. Precious Jesus, today we thank you for loving us all so completely. And I pray today that we will not set others on a pedestal or in a place that's different from others, but that we will treat everyone as you do the same. And Lord, I pray that I'll be able to love you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength in my neighbor as myself. And Lord, today, let us examine ourselves to make sure we are in the faith and always be ready to reach for those that are lost. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you today in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Give the Lord a hand. Hallelujah.